So there's a balance to that, there's a realism. As parents, we want to protect. We also want to train them to have accountability over their, their technology as, as a life skill. So when they start getting close to juniors and seniors in high school, say, hey, you know, pretty soon you're going to be on your own. You may be going to college and I'm not going to be setting filters on your, on your devices and you're being your accountability partner, having the report come to my email. But you need to be starting to find older, wiser uh, people from your gender, you know, guy with, with, a, with a, a wiser man or a girl with a wiser woman to prepare for life as a young adult. So when you hit that campus or when you go into the job scene, you have a group of like-minded Christians that can help you stay sexually sane. I want to take this opportunity to welcome you to this resource we are developing entitled Raising Sexually Healthy Children. My name is Dr. Chuck Betters, and you are listening to a resource from Mark Inc. Ministries, Making Abundant Riches Known in the Name of Christ. Today, Sharon, we have a wonderful couple with us, and I want you to take an opportunity now to introduce them, tell everybody who we're going to be listening to today. Yeah, I'm very excited about the interview we're going to have today. Um, As many of our listeners know, we have four children, and they may not know we have 14 grandchildren, all ages. And as I look at their parents raising them in this world, I'm overwhelmed by the difficulties they are facing, especially with social media. I think it's tougher than ever to be both a kid and a parent in this culture. The world's culture is continually pushing an anything-goes sexuality on our children. I think we all would agree with that. And because of those challenges, we are so excited to hear from Dan and Heather Wilson, who have a special passion for helping parents raise sexually healthy children. So welcome, Dan and Heather. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, why don't we get started with you telling us a little bit about yourselves, your background, your family, and maybe even why did you get into this uh, topic? Why is this topic so important to you? We are from Tennessee. We met growing up in Memphis during our college years, and we got married near the end of my seminary training. And God gave us four kids over about 10 years' time. How old are those kids now? 18, 13, 11, and 9. So that's a good spread. (laughs) It's like you're raising two different generations, isn't it? Absolutely. What has surprised you about parenting over the years? What big surprises have hit you as you raise these four children? I think it's the relentlessness of parenting. It's constant. It's all day. It's all night. You may be dealing with one child in the middle of the night who's having a stomach virus, but then the next morning you have another child having some other trauma And it's just a constant, ongoing event. And there's not a lot of, necessarily a lot of rest or recovery time between children being children. That's, I love the way you put that, Heather, because I can, I can certainly relate to that. Obviously, you've been parenting for 18 years. Uh, What would you think of, if I said, what's the most challenging period in parenting that you have experienced, what would that be? Can you identify just one or, or are you washed over with a lot? Well, it could be because it's fresh on my mind right now, but I would say 12-year-olds. <laughs> Raising 12-year-olds is pretty brutal. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, we actually were house parents at a children's home. So when we had a newborn, our very first newborn, we had 15 to 18-year-old girls. We had eight of them in the house, and that was definitely a very challenging time, but it was a great time of growth for us and clarity for the value of children. They're not just to be uh, squashed to the side or because we're bigger or we're adults, our opinions are more important, that they have value and they have dreams and they have problems. And just because they're 15 to 18 year olds doesn't mean their problems have less value on the scale of life. So that was an important thing we learned there. But I would say raising 12 year olds is definitely a challenge. It was a challenge the first time. It's a challenge a second time. And I'm now entering it a third time. And what what do you think is the most challenging part of raising a 12 year old? At 12 years old, there's 
so much physical change that's going on, emotional change, just even what is accomplished at school or in academics, everything ramps up. Extracurricular activities ramp up, sports ramp up. Everything goes from more like a, this is a fun, ha-ha experience to, wow, we're jumping into more real life. So also at the same time, they're dealing with their own hormones. They're testing boundaries. They're pushing limits. They're realizing that it does matter that they brush their teeth every day because people will not talk to them if they don't. So they're having to find all these different standards and figure out where they fit in in the world and whatever their world looks like, whether they're in school or homeschool or whatever. They're trying to find their place. And it's not isolated. It's not discreet. It affects the whole family and it can get messy. So you said this is your third time. What one word of encouragement will you give to that parent who's entering this season for the first time? Let me piggyback on that question because I was, I was, just, I was just thinking about something, looking for that one word. There's a comedian that I really enjoy listening to. He keeps the act clean and he's very funny. Uh, but he opens one of his acts with, with this. He says, he welcomes everybody and he says, my wife and I have been married so long, et cetera, et cetera. And then he says, and we have two wonderful children. And everybody starts applauding. And when they're finished applauding, he, then he says, and then we have another child. <laughs> so there's always that difficult child. So what one word, Sharon's asking you, would you use to describe or to help parents who are need, in need of encouragement? What one word would you guys use to talk to that parent about that difficult child? Well, we didn't plan on what one word I together. Did. Well, you have yours, but I have mine. It was, wasn't one word. I couldn't just get it to one single word. So it's like a short little thing. Uh, I would say, uh, keep sewing. That's my word. <laughs> well, that's. We're keeping we're, it real. We've been, been together 21 years. Been married so you start thinking years. alike, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I guess in the, part of that is it's just, you can't see if it's doing any good. We don't parent with a hundred percent certainty on any decision. And yet you have to put 100% of your weight into each decision. I guess that's backed up with to know that God loves your kid more than you do, and he can love them better than we could ever do. So that's kind of helped me because I've one thing about parenting I've realized, kind of like the comedian, is that as a dad, one of my biggest challenges is just to stay engaged with my children, to keep trying to know them, not just to corral them and get them, you know, in and out of school and bed and chores and hygiene. What's that thing? Keeping them clean? Yeah, hygiene. Um, but uh, to pursue their hearts. And it's, it's hard because I, I just, you know, I want to be done with work and put my feet up. And I wrote a book called Teaching Them Young, in which I take the first nine chapters of Proverbs that are designed to be taught to children before they reach the age of 12. And I wrote that book and I wrote it with my kids who are now adults, as examples. And it's interesting to hear them when they come to dinner, your adult children coming to dinner and now confessing to you things that they did that you didn't know anything about, which makes me want to pull the book off the shelves because you, you realize, of course, that they're, even though you're doing the very best you know how to do and you are continually sewing and spending that time with the kids and recognizing each of the stages is, is critical, you're still going to have times when either you fail or they fail and you don't know about it, or, or you do know yeah, about it. Yeah. And I think perhaps when we talk about the topic at hand here, it's one of the greatest challenges I think parents have today in a sexually driven culture to raise healthy children sexually, to raise sexually healthy kids. And you have developed a seminar on this very issue, and I, I, we've been very impressed with what we have seen and heard in that seminar. So we're going to dive in now to that very topic. And Sharon, why don't you go ahead and get us started? 
Yeah, I think it's interesting that you said 12-year-olds are the, that's a challenging season because that seems to be when they're awakening sexually, even though our culture seems to be encouraging them to awaken much earlier than that. Yeah, your seminar, I think, is very impressive, uh, the topics that you cover. And I especially like your first one, and you kind of touched on it. The first seminar talks about digging deeper than the fruit. And I thought about myself as a parent watching for evidence that my kids were healthy in every way and their behavior and forgetting that they can their behavior can say one thing, but their hearts can say another. So why don't you talk to us about that a little bit? How, how can we as parents look beyond, as you say, the fruit? Yeah. So the, in, in, this, in our seminar, we, we talk about understanding our kids with an illustration or a metaphor of they're like a tree. They're like a fruit tree. And, you know, the fruit is what comes on, on the branches. And in parenting, that's looking at our kids' behavior, you know, when they're doing good, when they're doing bad, when they're doing mediocre. And, and it's, it's, the, it's the minutia of life, getting them to practice and recital and, and fed and cleaned up. We can look at that and be content on just the, looking at the outside. But really where those behaviors come from is they, they come from deep within them. They come from their heart. And that's the, the really the ch- most challenging part about parenting is to kind of get that periscope up and look at the heart. I just reverse my metaphor from going mm-hmm. deep to going high. So let me go back t- to going deep. So the it's looking down at their heart and, and seeing that they're going to be tempted to find life in inauthentic ways. And that's going to eventually bubble up through their behavior. Uh, and so in parenting, it's not just to try to do behavior control, which can be about, you know, our own reputation as parents. Like if we had good, obedient, you know, keep their nose clean kids. Or seeing that they may be doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Or they're doing the wrong thing for the wrong reason, too. But uh, it's, it's trickier when you think about what goes beneath the fruit, down into the, the seed and the soil and the roots, and then what holds up their way of looking at the world, like the trunk, and then out of that comes the behavior. What are, what are some practical ways that you would, I mean, like talk to me as a parent. I have four kids, and I'm busy, and I'm tired. And I remember at nighttime, I couldn't wait for them to be in bed. And I know uh, that's one of their most. Their, I know that's what, but that's one of their most vulnerable times, and I know that too. And I, I mean, there were actual times where I would read to them, knowing they would fall asleep while I was reading, because I was. And one time I fell asleep while I was reading. So how do we uh, make that a priority of of moving to the heart and and helping to shape their hearts? Parenting is can be brutal, and it's constant. And there are a lot of times where I pursue my children when I don't feel like it. So there's a lot of parts of parenting where I have to decide I have to be the grown-up here. My child has had a bad day or we've had a lot of conflict or they've been caught doing something wrong. I still have to go find my child even though I just want to sleep or hide myself and interact with them, try to let them know that I'm still on their team, even though we've had maybe a lot of conflict in our family that day. Let them know that I understand that they are having the same feelings that I'm having. If I'm having feelings of anger or frustration toward my child, I need to realize that they are probably also having those feelings back at me. And I think a lot of times we just don't put any value or we just don't even get out of ourselves to think that our children have these same emotions. So if they're having these same feelings and emotions that we're having, that does typically grow compassion in us as parents. And that does give us that compassion to think, I can't send them to bed on a bad note. Or I can remember feeling very alone sometimes at night when there'd been conflict in my family when I was growing up. So I have this feeling of I don't want my child to feel all alone. If your child is feeling all alone, what are they going to do? Well, they're going to try to not feel alone, usually using very bad tools because they are children and they're foolish and which we can come up with a whole list of all the things that they would use that would be negative. You know, one of the most frustrating things for me as a pastor over the years 
has been to sit down with parents who have really tried hard to raise their kids the right way. Their kids go to Christian schools. Their kids are in the youth program. Some of them are youth leaders. They're in the worship service singing the, the hymns and the songs, and some of them are on worship teams and what have you. And a parent may uh, feel like, okay, I can take a deep breath. My kid's doing fine, only to learn later that that kid is not doing fine, only to discover that he or she is either sexually active, promiscuous, or on drugs or alcohol, and their lives are coming apart. That's been very frustrating to me over the years, to be able to look at a parent and say, you, you really looks like you did everything right, and only to find out that even though they've, quote, done everything right from outward appearances, it didn't turn out right. What would you say to that parent? Yeah, well, sometimes we can try to orchestrate all the outward things of our child, which would be that, that fruit the, you know, we can control the fruit, but you really can't control the heart. And even though when we're in parenting, what we're trying to kind of promote is trying to look to their heart and figure out the motives. You know, like if there's a certain fruit, you know, what's what's driving that? If they're if they're looking at pornography, if they're sending a sext to, uh, if a girl's sending a sext to a boy, you could just say, well, I'm just going to deal with the behavior and uh, give me back that smartphone, and I'm going to give you a dumb phone. Well, that's just lopping off the fruit. It's not figuring out what, what are you trying to get out of that. What are you, you're looking for life. You're looking for a good life. And, you know, because of our folly, because of our fallenness, I mean, what, one thing I think as parents, we sometimes forget that our children are sinners, and we can, you know, we're trying to educate them and get them in all these, all these ways uh, socially attuned, and they look successful, and yet every successful person and every unsuccessful person is so flawed and so broken. Even when we break against our own standards and codes, we, we, you know, we go against what we know is right and good, and, and we make selfish choices. And so our, we should expect our children to do that as well. And so we need to look for those, those fruit on the tree and then dig down and try to see what's, what's going on in their heart. Where, where are their motives? What are they trying to get out of life? You know, when I hear some of these things, I wish I could go back and be a parent all over again. <laughs> because even though I, I, at the time, I felt like we were doing the best we could. I mean, we went to all the seminars, we read all the books, we, we prayed with our children, and I'm grateful for the way God has worked in each one of their lives. But I, I do sometimes feel as though there's a whole big part that we could have done so much better. And it is taking that time to take a step back and not missing the important things that you're talking about. Because even as you're talking about addressing the heart, that takes time to choose, as, as you said, Heather, to be the grown-up, to choose to go against your emotions and to, with your will, say this is the right thing to do, but somehow be that safe place for your child to be able to talk to you about anything at any time. So as we're talking about those safe places and the talks that we have, uh, that we want our children to have, what about those sex talks? You know, we're talking about children who might feel lonely. They're going to go somewhere to fill that need. And certainly sex is a big topic. So how do we broach that? When I was growing up, I remember I was in the Girl Scouts and we saw a movie about girls and the changes in their bodies. And that was about the only sex talk we had. And I had a great relationship with my mother. And I know that Chuck's parents didn't talk to him about sex. We tried to talk to our kids. I'm not sure we did it the way we, the best way. So tell us the best way. Well, I think one of the reasons why I have a, a passion about my work with Harvest USA and the student outreach of the Harvest USA, and what we do the seminar raising sexually healthy kids, is because I was I was raised in a broken home, and I had a, a devout Christian mom, and I had an atheist father, and I got the sex talk from my mom, but it was a year after. I was exposed to my dad's pornography. You know, he had stashes of magazines, and um, on the every other weekend visitation, you know, I had access to that, and my heart was drawn to that. You know, part of it is just the the hormones of youth, but part of it was that back to the heart. I was going there for comfort and for distraction from you know, the, the chaos in my family, from the distraction from pain. I was learning to cope with non-sexual issues with something that was sexual. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's one reason why, you know, I have a passion about this. And I've talked to a lot of, I have an unusual, very unusual job uh, in ministry. People say, and I'll tell people, I didn't grow up thinking one day I would grow up and be involved in a sexual brokenness ministry. And that never was my my vision or ambition. But I've, in, in that, I've had a lot of opportunities. Once I kind of got past my own kind of gag spots and inhibitions, realize that everybody is the same. We all have some struggles and we all have some baggage and some shame. But when I would talk to other other people, other uh, adults, that they had similar backgrounds as well, that they didn't get the sex talk or they got the sex talk that was only biology, just the biology lesson, not like kind of like the hows, but, but what about the whys? You know, why are we equipped this way? You know, and what's the purpose of sex and sexuality? So that's why I have a passion to kind of to go there. Okay, you say you have the passion to go there. Well, let's go there. You have a parent sitting there listening to this resource right now saying, okay, where do I start? How do I broach the subject? How do I begin the discussion? Kind of the best way, of course, is to start when your kids are young. When, you know, we start talking about gender, moms and dads are different. We start talking about body parts, even when they're tiny, when they're little, when they can't, they can hear English, but they can't speak English yet. And as they're growing, that's, that's the ideal time to do that. But not everybody is kind of waking up as parents to that reality. Then they've got kids who are 10, 12 and 14, and they realize, you know, I've never communicated my sexual values to my kid. And the problem is, is that the, the world, the media, pump in hours and hours and hours a day that tell a different view of what love is, of what sex is for, different narratives that go against our values, especially if you're a Christian. It's easier to start if you're a young parent and you have young kids, just to kind of salt it in there and learn not to act nervous or ashamed or all uh, anxious up. But what about if, if you are older? And so, you know, I would advise this. You know, if you've never talked significantly beyond just the biology talk or maybe you haven't had that, to say, son, daughter, I need, I need to ask you to, for forgiveness. I have neglected a huge area of your life. I mean, I've, we've, we've spent a lot of time on school and extracurriculars and cleanliness and you know, all the different things we do as parents. But this is a huge area of our life and our heart. And I haven't, I haven't gone there with you, so I want to ask you forgiveness. And then find out, number, you know, the first one is just ask forgiveness, because that is, we've, we've, by neglect, have, you know, wronged them and left uh, the, the vacuum that was going to be filled with something. Then, number two, find out what's filled the vacuum. What do they know? What have they learned? Uh, and what have they learned? They probably learned it from today. They learned it from pornography. They learned it from their peers. They learned it from their peers who introduced them to pornography. Pornography is the number one sex educator in our culture which is horrible because it doesn't present a, a, a real view of what sex is for, uh, that sex is for intimacy and in the context of lifelong commitment because if it's just single-serving packets of intimacy, it's not really intimacy. That's not the, the type of intimacy that you know, causes human flourishing and the building of, of long relationships that are deep and that, you know, that cover a multitude of sins, uh, so to speak, that, uh, that go through thick and thin. So you ask forgiveness, you say, you find out what they know, and then you help them reinterpret what they've learned, what they think is real, but that's really sexual misinformation and lies with a truth from a biblical and a Christian worldview. So squaring that up with helping them understand there's a Christian sexual worldview of what we value, what we define as real love, where we value self-control and where we, where we value honoring other people instead of just focusing just on me being happy as an individual. Because that's the message in the world is it's all about me. As long as I'm with consenting adults, it's all about me. It's all about me being happy. Can you distinguish between how you would approach this with a boy versus how you would approach this with a girl? It, there's some things that are be common to, to, to both genders. I think the, the biggest thing as a Christian parent, I want my children to understand that um, they didn't invent sex and sexuality. God created it and gave them these as gifts. And they're to be enjoyed, but they're only going to work right when we go along His wise ways. And the, the rule of thumb is that when, we, when our selfishness inserts itself and our pride inserts itself and we start to be takers and not givers and we start to be takers and not protectors of other people and their, their hearts and their feelings, then we're not doing it right. It's going to hurt ourselves and others. It's going to burn out our capacity for real, the real joys of intimacy. So that's called selfishness. So if it's selfish, 
if there's a selfish motivation, they've got to learn to, to face that. It's not just a sexual feeling. Yeah, that could be neutral, but the heart behind it is going to be selfish. And so that's common to both guys and girls. So then, I mean, there's different ways. Guys want different things out of sex than girls do in broad brushstrokes. Guys want immediate pleasure and is focusing on, usually the, the main focus is just what feels good. And um, girls, I know I've never been one and don't plan on being one and I can't be one. Uh, they want that that romantic contact. They want that, am I valued? Am I validated? Do I feel beautiful? And do I feel desirable? A lot of that is self-image. I don't know about you guys, but I was raised in a generation where porn was not accessible. You had to go look for it. You had to go find it somewhere. Well, today the kid can be sitting in the bedroom and click a few buttons and there it is. And the anonymity of being involved in a, in a pornographic relationship, quote unquote, with a porn star is mind-boggling when you think about it. And I'm even thinking, as you were talking, the difference between boys and girls, I'm wondering, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm wondering how many girls are no longer being driven sexually by relationships and more driven as boys are by the pleasure because of their exposure to porn. Uh, I know that's probably a topic for another discussion, but, but I believe what you said is very, very true. Pornography today is much different than pornography in my generation and even yours. So our kids are being hit with this. Like you said, if not in your, your home somewhere, in some friend's home somewhere, I mean, you could be raising a very sexually healthy child and all of a sudden some kid ruins it. Several years ago, my best friend from college called, and he was in tears. And usually my best friend and I, are, we're always joking about funny things, comedians, movies, books. We kind of hang out on the phone. But for having my friend crying, I knew something was, was up. And he said uh, that his son, his six-year-old son at the time, had gotten to the home computer. And at the time, it was in the kitchen. That's supposed to be like the safe zone. And yet, because of the flow of traffic in the home, he was able to find times where he could get to that home computer in the kitchen and he typed in a potty word. And for three weeks, he was watching hardcore movies. And the thing about the difference between porn and previous generations and today is that we looked at magazine pictures for the most part, or we could sneak around and see fairly commonplace uh, videos, VHS, when that came out. I'm dating myself. I'm going to be 46 in August. So I was seeing some of that stuff in the early 80s. Today, there are numerous more genres or types of pornography, uh, types of perversion that were just not accessible. And they are there all the time. And a, a kid, a guy or a girl can get into those movies quickly. And there is a rise of girls looking at pornography for the same reasons that guys usually look at pornography. But porn affects girls who are not addicted to the necessarily the imagery, affects them in other ways. It affects their, their sense of self. What must I be to be attractive? What, who must I become to be uh, desirable and to be beautiful and to be wanted and to be hot? Sometimes girls, even good Christian girls, quote unquote, are wanting to be hot but not skanky. And those are categories, you know, they, they feel probably pretty good that I'm just hot but I'm not skanky. But those are categories we don't want our daughters to be even shooting for hot because they're saying, I just want to be someone's eye candy. I want to be objectified because only then can I find value. That's a tremendous impact on a girl's self-image and their worldview. What is life about? It's about becoming wanted, and I have to be objectified for that. And that's very that falls far short of, of God's plan for intimacy and sexuality and marriage. What do you do with a child who, when I say a child, I'm talking somebody who is sexually developing. Uh, what do you do when you know he or she has been exposed to porn? Well, you have to start talking to them about it. And this is really hard conversations. This is when you'd rather focus on the minutia of parenting rather than the, the hard stuff. You should assume that your children are targeted by the porn industry. That's grim. 
It's, but it's really real from even misspelling things or innocent searches that are tagged to nefarious websites. But just in general, the whole, the whole marketing of pornography and the mainstreaming of it is there to entrap kids. And the largest demographic group that uses pornography is boys 12 to 17. So before they're even 18, before they're, you know, quote, out of their teen years. And that's intentional marketing. Oh, yeah. They're a targeted audience. Because they want to get a customer for life. And the same thing's true of drug addiction. Target the child, and you've got a customer for life. Yeah, because they learned that that's, that's what they need for life. They can't see life any other way. They can't see doing life anything apart from having that type of crutch. I mean, they probably don't see it as a crutch, but it is a crutch for life. But only 17% of girls have never seen pornography. Only 17%. Yeah. Have never seen pornography. Yeah. 97% of guys, by the time they're in their teens, have seen pornography at least once. And 83%. Of girls. Of girls have two. Yeah. Why? I mean, they're trying to figure out what's the hubbub about. Right. And an innocent search can start massively, massively uh, affect who they think they are and what their, their, their life is about. It's Even if they think it's gross. It's still there. It's imprinted in their heads. And they, yeah, and there's a subtlety to it, even though they may not know that. And so it's grim. It's very grim. When you realize, wake up and smell the coffee, that your kid, your tween age or your teenage kid has probably been exposed to porn, you want to ask them without, like, you're going to be in trouble because you've, you've seen this. But see them more, not as someone breaking the rules, as someone who's a victim. That curiosity has killed the cat. So see them as a victim. Say, I just want to know, what have you seen? And you may have to keep digging because they're going to be, this is, you're the last person they want to talk to about something shameful, something sexual. But keep being open and say, I know I was exposed when I was a kid. You don't have to, you know, bring out all the baggage, all the dirty laundry, and just know it, I felt alone. I felt confused. I felt elated, but also ashamed. You know, just talk about your emotions, and slowly but surely, that maybe they'll open up to you, and then you can find out what they've seen and help them reinterpret that. That that that's not good sex. It's not morally good sex. It's not even really. It's not good sex in the sense of loving a partner, loving a spouse. That's, you know, that's dehumanizing, for example. A lot of porn is directly dehumanizing. So getting them to talk about it and unburden themselves. And if they can be safe with you about their exposure to pornography, you've really built a great bridge to their heart, to their, the inside of their life, yeah. that, where they don't have to have a double life, where they wear the happy face and they go through all the, all the great socially acceptable or even churchly acceptable behaviors and activities. The problem, I, uh, I'd like you to address this, the problem I see is that if I am going to depend upon pornography to be the source of my pleasure, then when I do have a relationship with someone, I've immediately set her up for failure because she can't compete with that. It's just plain and simple. She cannot compete with what the porn industry is offering these kids. There's a burgeoning number of young adult men who are seeking help for ED, erectile dysfunction, which if you see the commercials for on TV for, you know, I hate to plug any particular brand, but uh, you see them at, during especially football games. Usually these, these really buff, gray-headed guys in their 55 plus that are needing a pill to help them. So why are young guys, 18, 19, 20, early 20s, college age, needing this? It's because they've used pornography so much they can't be with a real person, they can't be with a real woman. It's burnt out their capacity for intimacy. Now here's the thing, porn is like salt water. It makes people thirsty for what it can't deliver. People, want, we're made for intimacy. I mean, that's how, that's our, our design by God. Is that what, that's one reason why God blessed us by making us male and female so that we could come together in a d deep, long-lasting, intimate relationship. And porn promises false intimacy. It's kind of like cotton candy. You can't eat a whole diet of cotton candy. It'll make you sick. And these guys are feeling the physical consequences of relational choice because they've chosen to relate to something that's made to bond them with another person that's bonded them with pixels on a screen or on a phone. So we're talking about the impact of pornography and a misuse of sex on, on young men and young women. But in this culture, how do you protect your daughters? I mean, how have you talked to your daughters about protecting their own hearts and their own bodies, but also technology-wise? What do you do to help protect them from seeing things and experiencing things that you know are going to be harmful? 
to the best of your ability. We do have filters on our equipment at home, and we have the type of filter that anyone that comes into our home automatically with, uh, through our wireless system is automatically on our filter. So that helps at home. But let me ask you about that. So that means if, like for instance, with our grandchildren, when they come and they have all of their, their toys with them, if they want to go on our system if we have the right filters, it will protect them. Right. We actually have a program that does that, and that's helpful. For instance, we're about to have a Chinese exchange student live with us for the year, and her wireless computer and her smartphone will automatically go underneath our equipment. She won't really necessarily even know that it's happening. It just happens in our home when she signs in with our wireless code. That is not going to help my children when we're at the mall or whatever, but that does help at home. That's called router protection. And I think, think it's crucial. It's your, it's your first defense. You need, your home has to be safe. It can't be just a, you know, avenue for porn to pour in. Some other really practical things that I've done, I mean, I'm assuming you're looking for practical, is typically the rule is I bring in the mail. I'm supposed to be bringing in the mail. That way I get to the mail first, and it's thrown out. So my girls aren't looking at it, and my son is not looking at it. That's one of the things I've learned. I had several older women who invested in me when I was a young mom who taught me these things, and they had uh, teenage sons, and they they taught me to be just zealous for that. Like, I had to totally put different glasses on and see, oh, this isn't just a swimming suit. I need to throw this out. So just putting a different lens on as a mom and having to to look at everything uh, through that way. If I'm not diligent as a parent, no one else is. Just like basically, if you think about praying for your children, if I'm not praying for my children, probably no one else is. So I have this super large responsibility as a parent because I also know more the ins and outs of their heart, what they're struggling with particularly. So uh, I have to be very aware of that. And so I th- I think about those things. I did want to also say a little bit about uh, the question about having the sex talks, because sometimes I'm a little bit more practical, and Dan's more the philosophical theologian in our family. So, and particularly also since our first three children are girls, um, this has fallen on me a little bit more, not because he gets out of it because he's a guy and he's not going to talk to our girls because he does talk to our daughters about different things, about sexuality and pornography that's appropriate for their age level. But uh, like when we began to have the initial boy-girl difference talks and actually the sex act talk, usually we do tend to have the that gender parent have that original conversation. Once the ice has been broken, then the other parent does start to interact and try to take off some of that embarrassment and that stigma. One thing I also found is that driving is a great time to have these conversations. So when you can get that one child and they're old enough to be in the front seat or it's a special thing because you're supposed to be 12, but you're thinking, oh, we're going to have this special talk. So you're going to be up here with me and uh, you're driving it. It lessens everyone's stress. And the child is definitely going to be more responsive to talking to you because you're looking at the road. You're not looking at them. So that's definitely been very helpful when I know we need to talk about some different things, particularly if I happen to see uh, one time recently in the last six months, I saw one of my daughters be a little bit more aggressive toward a neighborhood boy. And I'm not sure where that was coming from, but we definitely had conversations about that and have revisited that several times about uh, what that means. The other thing that I was going to say about um, talking with your kids about sex is I, I try to choose a certain time of the year that I talk to certain kids. So like Dan goes out of town every year in June to the certain conference. So my oldest child that needs more conversation about sex and body changes and whatever else gets main focus always that week. So before he comes home, I know like do or die, we have to have the next installment of this discussion because they're at a a higher developmental level. They've seen more things. They might be about to earn more, more internet privileges. 
uh, we don't allow uh, our children to have a smartphone or, um, until they're much, much older. But, uh, you know, at junior high, you're going to start to get more Internet privileges, more Netflix privileges and things like that. So I do kind of up the ante every year with that uh, whoever's the oldest in discussion. So that's been helpful for me to be more intentional because otherwise life just keeps going and you're like, oh my goodness, you're 14 and a half and what happened in the last three years? So that's just some things that I've that I've used in our family. Have you been to a carnival or an amusement park and seen the game uh, Whack-A-Mole? Yes. You know when I talk about Whack-A-Mole? Yes. And I'm thinking about whack-a-mole as I was listening to you talk about the various filters that you have intentionally placed over your children, what they can see, what they can't see. And I was thinking, okay, she's knocked it down here. She's whacked the mole over here, but he's popped up over here. Absolutely. And you whacked him here, he's popped up over there. Social media seems to be a game of whack-a-mole. Absolutely. Would you like to comment on social media and how social media is affecting our children sexually? Well, we talked about having a, a filter for your router just so that your house is every Internet-enabled device goes to that router. And there are products coming out, both as software and hardware you can buy to, to be that, that first round of protection. Setting your, your search engines to safe search. Uh, options that are kid-friendly. I know Google has Safe Search, and that's one thing we use at our house. Uh, I think I don't know if other browsers have that parental setting that can be password protected. You got to password protect it, and as the parents keep the password, otherwise your kids can go back behind and say, "I want to, you know, search this thing," and they have a intuition that it might be naughty, and they oh, and the wife needs to keep the password because there are many husbands that are also struggling with porn. Well, three out of five so... husbands in the church struggle with. Um, pornography. So pretty much we always recommend that the wife is the one with the password. Again, not that the wife couldn't have a porn problem, but generally speaking, uh, I keep the passwords for all that. And Dan does not know the passwords just to give him accountability and just another level of protection. Not only do three out of five men struggle with it, but I read a, an alarming statistic. I, I, I wish I had the accurate statistic to give you, but I, all I remember is it was alarming of how many clergymen struggle with porn. Right. And it was, it, was, it was like a cold bucket of water in the face. Like, really? So many of them? Let's get back to the social media thing. How, how do you, okay, one way is proper filters at home. Well, and you need to be, social media usually come through apps. Uh, so you're an app for Facebook, an app for you name it. So you, need to, you as a parent need to be controlling what apps are on your kids' devices. And that means you probably have to be in control of the, the passcode for those devices so that you've, you've disabled the, the downloading of apps and when they say, I, you know, so-and-so has this app, I'd like to be able to swap pictures with, you say, okay, let's, let's research this. And you go to your favorite search engine and say, is blank app safe for kids? Can kids use this app to access porn? Mm. And then you make a really educated decision whether or not you allow that on your, on your kid's device. You know, a lot of folks are think well, all these all these apps are innocent, and maybe ninety five percent of the content is for you know seven hundred million users. And then, but there's still you know gobs and gobs of free pictures of of porn, like with Tumblr, for example. People think that's just a, a fun and dandy thing, and people kids can learn to search certain hashtags that aren't explicit porn search engine terms, but they can find those things. And as a parent, if you have children with a smartphone even, you can password protect every app purchase so they cannot even get free apps. Like Facebook is a free app, but you can set it up as a parent to where it goes through Apple as a purchase, even though it's free, and it still is password protected. The other thing about social media is we are those nasty parents that do not allow our children to have Facebook and Snapchat and all these other things until they are of a certain age. Legally, quote, you have to be 13 to have a Facebook account. I do have friends that allow their 10 and 11-year-olds to have Facebook accounts. That is actually illegal. It's all in the Facebook privacy stuff that you're supposed to be 13. But as a parent, you have that 
right uh, to limit your child's Facebook access. Now, can they sneak around and have a secret Facebook account? Absolutely. Do I know people that have done that? Absolutely. But you can still communicate that at home, not just we're not going to have Facebook, but it's talk about this is why we're not. And our children know that are of the age to have Facebook. They understand why we limited them until they were old enough. We talked about the fact that people feel like they're left out. We talked about a lot of other issues other than just the sexual issues that there's just you don't have the maturity to deal with the fact that you're the only one not going to that party. Of course, we said that more politely, but basically, that's what we're saying. We talked about how they are going to see things that can never be taken aback. Once they see it, they can't be, it can't be taken away. So just because it's a link on Facebook to YouTube doesn't mean uh, that it's appropriate. So we have elevated the age of having to get certain apps. And there are certain apps that are not allowed. And I said Snapchat a minute ago, and that is actually one of ours that's on the do not list. allow list. Bye. But... We have a sinful child who last summer well, did. Yeah, four sin- we sin- have four, four sinful children, in case you're wondering. Well, this but one. One of our sinful children secretly loaded it when she was gone last summer on her phone. She was not going to do anything inappropriate. We absolutely do trust this child. She was, in fact, on a mission trip. But all the other kids had it, and she downloaded it. Now, the rules were you don't load anything without mom and dad's permission, you know that this was an off-limits one because you take photos and they vanish, but they're not vanished. They vanish from your phone, but they are in outer space somewhere. So anything that has ever been taken on Snapchat will be kept forever and can and will follow you. So obviously you can imagine how Snapchat could be used so inappropriately by children that, that just don't have the foresight to think about the next two weeks. You know, I, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, I'm back to whack-a-mole. <laughs> and I'm looking at all the provisions you make to block <laughs> your children from seeing certain things. Now, if foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, which is what the scripture says, then basically our children are fools. My kids used to say, what's the matter, Dad? Don't you trust me? And I would say, I don't, no. Why would I trust you? You're a fool. <laughs> you know, we, we made a joke out of it, but it was it was nonetheless true. But if, if that foolishness is bound up in the heart of that child and we put those filters on, aren't I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment. Could we, in essence, be feeding their curiosity to the point that when they reach that magical age, when we say it's okay, that they're just going to go off the deep end? Mm-hmm. More specifically, how do we filter their heart? Yeah. How do we put that filter over their heart? I think we need to be due diligence to have is porn-free home and porn-free devices, because if they leave the home with a device, you need to have a, a filtering accountability app for that. There's many of those that are good. So yeah, we can't control their heart, but the, the kind of no-holds-barred, blank check, laissez-faire parenting of, well, they're going to get into this stuff anyway, is foolish uh, as a parent because of, you know, you think what porn is, for example, if we said there was a, a room in a building that if you walked through this door, you'd be surrounded by naked people. And if we sent a minor, if we said we allowed a minor free access to that, you know, that would be illegal, right? That would be seen as child abuse or child endangerment or child neglect. So we can't control the child like wanting to go into that room, but we should lock that door. So there's a balance to that. There's a realism. As parents, we want to protect. We also want to train them to have accountability over their, their technology as, as a life skill. So when they start getting close to juniors and seniors in high school, say, hey, you know, pretty soon you're going to be on your own. You may be going to college. And I'm not going to be setting filters on your on your devices and you're being your accountability partner, having the report come to my email. But you need to be starting to find older, wiser uh, people from your gender, um, you know, guy with, with, a, with a, a, a wiser man or a girl with a wiser woman to prepare for life as a young adult. So when you hit that campus or when you go into the job scene, you have a group of like-minded Christians that can help you say sexually sane. I'm thinking about now things like Snapchat, Instagram, other forms of social media, where your kids, our kids, are developing friendships 
that may not be good for them. And in our day, it was, of course, we just say, well, you're not going to be friends anymore. But how do you do that now with social media as, as explosive as it is, specifically with, with Snapchat and Instagram? Yeah, kids will say, you know, Dad, everybody has this app, and Mom, everybody has this app, and, and maybe they do. But if you've done your research and found out that, you know, something that sounds as innocent as Instagram can easily be searched and find, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of porn pictures, you know, it's not that innocent. And not every, not every kid that your kid knows or that kid that knows your kid's kid, you know, friend, can just web that in to the feed and they could be seeing really, really hardcore things and, and not even know it's going to be there that day. One of the things that I've realized too is when we're on the social media sites, we might click on a video and it's a funny video about a dog or something like that, but that takes you to YouTube often. And then a child starts searching and finding funny things and more funny things and then is going down into this abyss of darkness. So I really liked what you said earlier, Dan, about our responsibility. I think both of you said this, that we as parents have a responsibility. This is not to keep our children safe. And social media, Instagram, uh, one of our friends called it, some people think it's the G-rated version of um, Snapchat and things like that, but it really is not that it's dangerous for our children. And they're, they are too immature. They cannot handle what we are allowing them to handle. It would be like putting a 10-year-old in the driver's seat of a big, fast race car and saying, okay, go ahead and drive it without any kind of oversight or training. And I think a lot of parents are, are not getting that. Netflix, all those things, um, it's dangerous out there for these children. Even gaming consoles, you think that that gaming console is great and it can't be a problem. It couldn't be a problem. You know, you might be killing some some Nazis or uh, shooting, you know, uh, some stormtroopers from some Star Wars game, and yet it can access the internet. And if you haven't blocked that, you know, so I have friends that are youth pastors, and they say their kids all the time, junior high youth, junior high age kids, you know, accessing porn through the game console. So as I am listening to our conversation, my heart as a parent, if I was a parent, mom, grandparent now, but it's sinking lower and lower because it seems like we are faced with an impossible task of protecting our children. I mean, you mentioned earlier, 83% of girls are exposed to porn, 90 some percent of boys before the age of 17. I mean, what's a parent to do? How in the world do we continue? We've talked about protecting our children, but how do we help them when they're broken um, by sexual exposure that's unhealthy? How do we, as parents, help ourselves to stay on track and to somehow redeem the pain of this very uh, sexually saturated culture? Well, instead of having the, the idea that my kid would never do this, my kid would never be tempted. We're all tempted with things all the time. So remember just our basic understanding of what it is to be human. We're very temptable. So instead of assuming, assuming that your kid will never be tempted, assume your kid will be tempted and assume your kid will stumble. So then, number one, don't freak out. Uh, we had uh, a mom call and her, you know, she thought her straight A, nice kid, good son would never do this. And she said, when she found out in the the history file of the computer that he looked at porn, she said, how could you do this to me? Mm. And my immediate thought was, he probably wasn't thinking about her (laughs) when he was looking at them. So uh, don't freak out, at least not in front of your children. You know, you're going to have your emotional response. You need to vent with your your spouse or a a trusted friend. Um, But then move towards your your son or daughter with compassion, knowing that like you being temptable, you will stumble, they're stumbled. And this is where you need the Lord. You stop and pray and ask for him to help you approach your your child with not just the truth of what's right and wrong, but the truth of a God who's moved toward us with compassion, who moved toward us. Jesus condescended from heaven and came to a messy, messy place. Uh, we know how messy it is now because we're tuned into the news. So it's always been bad. And we've always been uh, a terminal race. And he came to die for us, to save us. And so in, we move toward our child in the same type of spirit. But we trust the Lord to actually be the one who's going to do the work of the heart. We've talked about protecting, and that's kind of outward. But how do you minister to your child? So um, 
you know, then you just you address the issue. So, you know, son, daughter, we found this. Uh, we've discovered this. You've got caught. Or maybe they come to you and say, look, I can't stand doing this anymore. Affirm your love for them, that they don't have to be perfect children to be your children. Then you point them to a God who understands what it is to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way except without sin, and he understands that we're tempted and we do sin. So you say, Jesus loves you even when you're weak, even when you don't want to do right and be good. But you can sympathize with your child because we're all in this together on this this thing called life and the, the struggles we have. Would you ever say to your child, I struggle with the same things? Yeah, there's a time to do that. And there's going to be wisdom on how much you share about your baggage because you don't want to, you know, make your, your kid think, hey, I thought when I was going to be my dad's age that I would never struggle with this, They'll be that there's an expiration date on lust. <laughs> of course, you know, lust is, we always think that that's always sexual, but, you know, it's really desiring anything to fill up our life like an idol. And lust is never satisfied. That's the very definition of it. And what we want to point them to is not that you got to clean up your act and do better, or that it's okay, we're all just a mess, but we have a Savior who loves us, who forgives us, and who can give us the power to change, that we can turn toward Him, turn away from these selfish and dark things, and turn toward Him, and He's the one who can satisfy us. Uh, we're made not for lusts, we're not made for all these other things, we're made for oneness and unity and and intimacy with God, and that God is there, has done what it, it need to be done to take away the, all the things that block us so that we can be intimate with Him through faith and because of His love. And so, you, you know, you want to tell your, your child, I'm on your team. I know that this is not going to go away just because this happened once, that, and you may swear this has never happened again, but, you know, they're temptable, that you're on their team, you're going to help them. You ask them, you know, what type of help do you need? What's, what's tripping you up? Does it start with Instagram and then, you know, turn into a, just a drive to go, gets harder core things some other place? You get them to tell tell you how to help them and prepare a protection plan, whether it's maybe certain friends they can't hang out with or certain peers. So, and, and then once you've, uh, you know, once you've had this good conversation and it's not, you know, we, we should pray for these because this is really redemptive. This is hard, but it's kind of like going and getting a root canal. We don't want to do that. But you know, it's better than having an abscess. So, or pretending like we don't have an abscess and trying to smile. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is when we, when we fake it. But when we get, we've gone there, we need to keep after our children in love, moving toward them, keep checking in. Not just about the behavior, but how, how's your heart, son? You know, are, 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 you, are you struggling? And if, if we know that the whole shell game of broken sexuality is to offer false intimacy, we need to offer them real intimacy through our own love toward them and relating with them and doing things with them, but also pointing them to the, to the God who accepts them and that hears their prayers every time they pray. And that speaks to them through Scripture. One of the resources we have is on drug addiction, and it's an interview with Daryl Strawberry. Daryl Strawberry was the—they called him the Black Ted Williams. And Daryl, of course, went off the deep end in drug addiction. And one of the things I remember him saying— In fact, I just saw it on ESPN, had a 30-30 involving him and Dwight Gooden. And one of the things that Daryl told us, he said the first time he was exposed to drugs was on the back of the plane with his team when when he first joined the New York Mets. One of the Mets called him to the back of the plane and said, we have a present for you. And the present that they had for him was cocaine. And his first exposure to cocaine and then what he said was was really enlightening. He said, and I liked it. And the rest of his life at that point went downhill until he got into the Word. And he got into the Word from his current wife, who would have none of it. And in fact, she would go to drug uh, houses and drag him out. When, the, when this man was, was down as far as you could go, been in jail, I don't know how many times, and married how, how many times, but he will tell you that the addiction that he experienced only was broken when he got into the Word. What role do the Scriptures play in helping you as parents place that filter over your child's heart and bring that child to, to saving knowledge of Christ? What I was thinking of when you are sharing that story is that what Daryl Strawberry found is that his love for cocaine was pressed out of his heart by a greater love and greater affection. When he realized that 
because he was reading God's word and God was speaking to him and sharing his love and commitment towards Daryl, that that was more satisfying than, than the, 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 tr- the cheap trick of cocaine. And the same thing can happen with, with porn addiction or seeking human approval from a boyfriend, from a girlfriend, from, a, from any other person that we find what we're really looking for when we find God. We have to find God through the way he's revealed himself to us through the Word of God. So I think that's where that brings it in. And as parents, we have to, we can't minister to our kids when we're empty ourselves. You know, I can't turn to my wife, Heather, and expect her to be Jesus to me. She's not the second person of the Trinity, and vice versa. I, I play a very bad Jesus, you know. I also play a very bad mother, but that's a whole other subject. Um, I try to be a pretty good dad. So, yeah, we have to find our true life and our true identity and our true satisfaction in a God that loves us this much, and we know that from Scripture. And then we, we, we're bringing our kids to that. We're bringing our kids to that. We're showing them this is the fount of life. This is the good stuff. You know, when for folks to just imagine this for a second, if Jesus was tempted in every point like unto us, which the scripture tells us he was, then he experienced sexual temptation. I mean, just roll that around a little bit. He experienced sexual temptation. And if he is the great comforter and he comforts us with the temptations we are experiencing sexually, then at the same time, we, we have to process the fact that if he could be tempted, then we can be tempted. But how did he overcome? How did Christ overcome temptation? When, you, when you're drawing people to give their lives to Christ, can you guarantee them at that point that they're going to have the same power to overcome temptation that Christ has to overcome temptation? The Scripture tells us that he gives, gives us his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ that res- lives in us. When, when we're born again. So we get access to that, the same power that Jesus used to say no to sin, whatever sin it was. And then that gives us the, the freedom to turn to him for strength. It also gives us the security to know that when we stumble, we haven't blown it forever. We've stumbled, you know. We can get off of our knees and start walking again. We can turn around and turn toward God, and he, we know He accepts us. And I think that's really, we want to teach that that turning around, we have this Christian word called repentance. It's got a bad rap uh, just as a negative word, but it's a great word because it means you're turning toward God, the source of real life and real love. And teaching our kids, protecting our kids is one thing, but teaching our kids about a life of repentance is the greatest life skill better than a college degree, better than a good job, because if they can turn to God in faith and love and receive His love that fills up their heart to overflowing, then they can walk away from any life-dominating idol or temptation. Heather and Dan, thank you so much for being with us today. You've given us so much to think about. And as a grandparent, and if I were still raising children, I would want to sit with you for hours and just pick your brain because you've uh, touched on so many important topics. I know that you have more to offer. Um, I've been on your blog. I've been uh, kind of stalking you, getting ready for this. So I know that in one of your seminars, you talk about age-appropriate talks, the talks for age, different ages and things like that. So much important information. So why don't you tell our listeners how they can learn more and how they can can dig deeper into raising sexually healthy kids. I work for a ministry called Harvest USA, and my department of Harvest USA is called the Student Outreach. And so if you go to thestudentoutreach.org, you can access our blogs. We're going to be having some videos up soon. In fact, in a, in a week or so, we're going to have a blog on how to protect your home from pornography. So it's very practical. You can go down to the bottom of the first page and sign up for a monthly update. So it will send all the topics that has been written that month, and you can see which ones are appropriate for you, and you might want to forward it to a friend using social media for, for good. And our parent ministry is harvestusa.org, also loaded with great resources and stories and articles and blogs that are written for real people in real situations trying to deal with all the sexual challenges we have today as human beings. Well, we hope you have enjoyed this discussion on raising sexually healthy kids. Marking Ministries exists for the purpose of offering help and hope to hurting people, and parents can be uh, assured that one of the greatest experiences you will ever have is to see your children walk with Christ. 
And you've heard uh, a little bit about that here today. And, and I want to assure you that the power to change does not come from outside. The power to change comes from within. And the only way we can have that power is to receive and trust Christ as Savior and Lord. And the only way your children can really develop the filters in their own hearts is for them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is when the same power that Christ had to resist sexual temptation, he gives to your child, he gives to me, he gives to all of us who struggle with whatever the sin might be. And the only way that can take place is for you to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That means repentance. You've heard that word used here. Repentance involves two things, turning away from sin and turning toward Christ. So we give up, we, we shed the sin, and we turn toward the Savior. And I want to encourage you to lead your children to understand that that's what a biblical worldview looks like. We, we see life through the grid of Scripture. We see life through the grid of the work of Christ on the cross. And we're trusting that these resources will help you to bring your children to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if Mark Inc. Ministries can be of help to you, we're here for that purpose, to offer help and hope to hurting people. And we want to help you as parents to bring your children to Jesus Christ. That is when the power to change from within is going to take place. Now that doesn't mean they're never going to struggle again. We're all going to struggle. But I think that the most important thing you can get out of this discussion on raising sexually healthy kids is the power to change comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So we want to offer that hope. We want to offer that help to you. Mark Inc. Ministries can be reached by calling 877-MARK-INC or by visiting us on the web at markinc.org. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C dot org. And we are praying that you will be able to reach out to us to help you with this awesome responsibility God has given you to raise sexually and spiritually healthy kids. To Him be the glory.